0: What are we discussing on today's Locked on Dimebacks podcast? Why we might be seeing a free agency frenzy very soon here during the MLB offseason, and then taking a look at the Hall of Fame ballot, snubs, and surprises from the 2024 class, and then which newbies from 2025 have a shot of getting inducted. <laughs> Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day day. You're listening to who? the always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas, I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles, to my photos and my graphic design. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube. So please hit subscribe to Lockdown on on YouTube or wherever you stream your podcast. And for today's show, I want to talk about Which 2025 newbies on the Hall of Fame ballot could get inducted into next year's class? We'll talk about the 2024 class, the snubs, the surprises from this year's ballot. But before we get into that, I want to talk about how we still might see a free agent frenzy, a flurry of moves before this MLB offseason is over. But before we get into that conversation, I just want to say... Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. Now, let's jump right into the conversation because I want to discuss how even though the MLB offseason has been moving so slow and just chugging along, how we might see a little frenzy here. Uh, pretty soon and how all of a sudden the offseason might be ramping up once again and how we could be having ourselves a little fun in the near future because of course we are not that far away from like spring training I think in like 30 days pitchers and catchers report to spring training report to camp like we are 30 days away from baseball being prepared baseball being underway guys going back to their to the states that they play guys going back to their you know, other homes away from homes where they got to be for the next few months. So we are getting prepped for the MLB season and there are still a ton, a ton of very good, high quality major leaguers out there. And with spring training so close, you know, so close, that's why I believe we could see a flurry of moves, a free agency frenzy coming in the near future. And it could be the excitement we need as podcast hosts right before, um, you know, right before the season starts because the offseason has been so slow. But give us some more content before opening day and I'll be very happy. Just don't make any moves next week because next week. I will be going to Italy, and so I'm pre-recording a couple podcasts before then, and so if there's any big D-backs moves, any big D-backs trades, I will not be able to cover it next week. So hopefully they don't do anything. Hopefully the D-backs keep it calm because, of course, they still need, I think, one more missing piece for their team, which we'll talk he- talk about here in just a second. But definitely D-backs don't make any moves while I'm on vacation next week because there's still so many teams – that have really not even woken up for this year's free agency. If you could believe that, again, just a month away from about spring training, there are still teams out there who haven't made a move yet. The Miami Marlins, I don't think, have signed a singular free agent yet. Can you believe that? There are actually teams out there who have sat on their hands this entire free agency period. And you can only fault them so much because it seems like that's what the whole initiative is across the league. Considering there's still so many free agents still available, so I can only get mad at the Marlins so much because 85-90% of the league is doing exactly what the Marlins is doing. So hopefully, now that we're getting so close to spring training, we see more moves start to happen. We see a flurry of moves start to happen. And... The D-backs, I don't think they're going to make a flurry of moves, but there's still one big free agent that the D-backs still want to add, which is a DH, either righty or a lefty, and there's still a ton of guys that the D-backs can still go out there and sign and acquire. Like When you look at still some of the top free agents, like, okay, I don't think Cody Bellinger or Matt Chapman are going to be DHs for the D-backs, but those are still two guys out there. Blake Snell, the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Free agent Jordan Montgomery, the best pitcher on a World Series winning staff this past year. Free agent Reese Hoskins, a perfect DH for the D backs, he's still sitting out there. Jorge Soler, perfect DH for the D backs, sitting out there. Jock Peterson, perfect DH out there. Justin Turner, out there. JD Martinez out there. You still got guys like Clayton Kershaw, who's a little bit older. He's still out there. Tim Anderson's coming off a down season. He's still telling me he's not deserving of a job. Gary Sanchez, I know he struggles defensively behind the plate. The dude can mash the ball. As a DH, I wouldn't mind him. Our former friend who we just had on the team this past season, Tommy Pham, free agent, just sitting out there. They're still Lots and lots of talent on this free agent market. And hopefully some of those guys get you know picked up soon. And hopefully the D-backs pick up one pick up one of those guys to be their DH. This is kind of reminiscent of what happened back in the 2019 off-season. Because back in the 2019 offseason, if you remember, you had guys like Manny Machado. I guess this is technically the 2018 off season. Guys like Manny Machado, Bryce Harper were free agents, and so you did have some studs in that free agent class and unlike Otani you know where Otani looking back at it signed early in free agency the Machados and the Bryce Harpers who were the cream of the crop in this free agent class they had to wait a very long time to get their deal Bryce Harper waited until March 2nd before he signed with the Phillies Manny Machado waited until February 21st before he signed with the San Diego Padres That's how long into free agency those guys waited before signing. And I don't think it was on the players. I think it was on those teams. And they still were able to get themselves a fat contract. So when you think about guys like Bryce Harper and Man Machado waiting until late February, March, before they sign their deals, like, yeah. guy like Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, all those guys, like, we should see a flurry of moves before the season starts. Because if we go into the regular season and guys like that are still unsigned, like, I think that's a bad look for baseball and bad look for these teams. Like, if you're a fan of organization and you know your team has holes in the lineup or the rotation, you just got guys unsigned like Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell, like, I don't think those quality players will probably be unsigned by opening day. But if some, like, Gary Sanchez or Tim Anderson is unsigned by opening day, like, I do think that's not a good look for Major League Baseball. We have so much strife between the players, you know, association and the the Major League Baseball itself, you can see why it's so hard for these MLB free agents to get contracts. You have to wait so long before you hit free agency, and then MLB punishes you by when you do hit free agency, we're going to make you wait till the end of the offseason, so you have to sign a one-year approved deal or something along those lines. MLB does their players so dirty, and it's why it feels like MLB is always on the wrong side of things. It feels like It's one of the reasons why they're always trending in the wrong direction in terms of the national, you know, audience and, you know, national interest in that sport. So baseball needs to do a better job of protecting their players. And, you know, doing a crossover with Ben Kaspic the Lockdown Giants, like, we talked. Is there a way to make the MLB offseason more exciting? And Ben had a great idea, very akin to what we do with, you know, foreign postings. It's like, let's put a deadline on these players to sign deals like, after the season starts, or excuse me, after the season ends and the off season starts, like you have like, I don't know, until the winter meetings to sign someone or until January 15th to sign someone to a long term deal. And if you can't, you know, sign Aaron Judge to that long term deal by the 15th and at that point. All he can do is sign a one-year or a short-term deal. Like, put some kind of incentive to make these teams sign these players to longer-term contracts. If that's what the player wants, like, maybe the other issue is players want too long of deals. Like, I think the perfect thing for the MLB offseason would be put some kind of deadline in for these players where you have to sign a player by this deadline, or the kind of deal you can sign them to just lessens. And also, I wouldn't mind term limits on contracts, right? Everyone, every major leaguer, every position player, they want 8 to 12 years, but I don't think that's that good for the sport. I don't think it's good for teams. I don't think it's good for fans. I think if we said, okay, max like basketball can only sign like five years plus the deadline for, for these free agents to sign quicker with teams, I would love to have both of those ideas juxtaposed at the same time deadline to sign free agents, and there's a max to how long you can sign a free agent for. In my eyes, that would make baseball more entertaining, more exciting, more movement in the sport, which is something that I would not mind. I don't want to see a player spend his first seven years with a team because of arbitration and all that stuff. He hits free agency, and then he signs a 12-year deal with the same team. I want to get opportunities and cracks to add the best players in the sport to my team and I think baseball doesn't do the best job of maximizing that right now so hopefully baseball can internalize everything that's gone wrong this offseason and can make some improvements because I will give baseball credit they have been trying to evolve the things that they do over the last couple years we've seen new rules be in place be put in place I think they've really helped the sport a lot so hopefully they can go back to the drawing board when it comes to offseason free agency and introduce some new ideas to make it just a little bit more exciting. Now I want to talk about some Hall of Fame snubs and surprises from the 2024 Hall of Fame ballot. Before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about FanDuel Sportsbook because the NFL regular season is wrapping up. But there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. My favorite thing to do is a same game parlay. Whenever the Lakers are playing a mediocre team, I take 80 over in points, 80 over in rebounds, and the Lakers money line. Now the third leg of that parlay. Parlay, the money line uh probably hits the least of the three legs of the parlay, but when it does hit, I feel fantastic. I love seeing that direct deposit hit my account. And if you want to see it hit your account, visit fanduel.com/lockdown and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Locked On Dinebacks podcast and let's discuss some snubs and surprises from the 2024 Hall of Fame ballot because we saw three players get inducted. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. Beltre, 95% of the vote. Todd Helton, 79 Mauer Maurer, 76 You need 75% of the vote to make it to the Hall of Fame. Those three guys made it. Mauer just squeaked in, surprised Beltray. I mean, I'm not surprised Beltray is not a unanimous you know, Hall of Famer because everyone knows Adrian Beltre is a Hall of Famer, but because of the MLB Hall of Fame and their media members, they just don't like making people first ballot Hall of Famers for whatever reason. They don't want to make it unanimous. It was such a big deal when Derek Jeter became the first unanimous because it's like, how are we here? You know what a Hall of Famer is like. How? how who voted and said Adrian Beltre is not a Hall of Famer? I just don't know who that is. And so, so many politics when it comes to the MLB Hall of Fame. But thankfully, Beltre was able to get in his first time. Joe Mauer his first time. Then Todd Helton, his sixth time, was able to get in. Beltre, Maurer, I mean, I think those two were probably the two biggest no-doubters from this year's ballot. Because, I mean, Adrian Beltre quite literally one of the best players of all time at his position, and one of the best players in the sport. Over 3,000 hits, over 450 home runs, over 1,700 RBIs, a career 819 OPS, like quite literally one of the best players who ever, ever graced his position. Same with Joe Maurer. The dude was a hitting machine, career 306 average, career 827 OPS, and as a catcher, Offensive machine MVP, as well, like that is just something you don't see from your catcher. And when he won the MVP, like it was deserving. This was a guy playing 138 games, 365 average to lead the league, 1031 OPS led the league, 28 bombs, 96 RPIs. Like, Joe Maurer was a machine in his heyday, and those two first time hall of famers on their first try definitely deserving of course their first time hall of famers you only make the hall of fame one time but i meant to say first ballot hall of famers getting in todd helton sixth ballot um so it took him six years before he's making was able to make it to the hall of fame and for me i, I kind of have a question as to whether or not we feel like that's morally right for the hall of fame because i kind of believe and i know other people have talked about this as well but i kind of believed like the Hall of Fame should be like three strikes and you're out. Like, it's baseball. Let's make it three strikes. You get three chances to make it to the Hall of Fame. Year one, year two, year three. And I guess we, you can still keep that whatever special committee that votes on Hall of Fame too. You know, 20 years after you get denied, we could still have that around. But for the, the the regular Hall of Fame ballot, after three tries... If you can't get into the Hall of Fame, you should just be kicked off the ballot. And that might sound harsh, but for a guy like Todd Helton, it took him six years to become a Hall of Famer. Why is that the case? Is it because he finally had momentum going for him year after year? Is there a little sympathy involved because people thought, He was a really good player, and maybe they thought he was on the ballot too long. Is it just because this was a weak class, and he just looks better compared to the people on the ballot? Like, whatever the reason is, the numbers never change for Todd Helton. And if you thought year two or year three of the ballot, he wasn't a Hall of Famer, then why in year six, all of a sudden, is he a Hall of Famer? And that's kind of my Biggest issue, I think, when it comes to Hall of Fame, how can someone not be a Hall of Famer year two, year three, year four, but then all of a sudden you're seven, you're eight, you're nine. We're like, we got to get that guy in the Hall of Fame. How can he be snubbed? Like if it took you eight years to decide and you were on the fence as to whether or not the guy was a Hall of Famer, if there was that much doubt in your mind, guess what? He wasn't a Hall of Famer because there should be no doubt in someone's mind whether they were a Hall of Famer or not. The Hall of Fame should be the cream of the crop. It should be the most exclusive, prestigious club there is, and baseball probably is the toughest to get into, but baseball's Hall of Fame has lost a lot of cred- credibility when guys like Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. Some of the greatest athletes who's ever played the sport is not in the Hall of Fame, so there some... Big issues in terms of the credibility for the MLB Hall of Fame, but I do like how tough it is to get in the MLB Hall of Fame, but I think they should make it even tougher by not allowing someone 10 years of eligibility to be on the ballot. After three strikes, three chances, if you don't make it in, you're out, in my, you're out <laughs> on the ballot in my opinion. I think you should lose your eligibility after three years of trying that's just my two cents happy for todd helton definitely put up some big numbers in his career like i think in terms of numbers he was definitely deserving i mean todd helton career 316 average 953 ops the biggest question i guess you have when it comes to todd helton's career is he was a dude that played in course how much were his numbers you know amplified by playing at course field as opposed to not well i'll tell you his numbers were definitely better at home 345 average, 1048 OPS at home. Monster, right? But still on the road, he was still an elite player. 287 average, 855 OPS, it's still Hall of Fame numbers. So even if you take out his home stats, he still put up numbers good enough on the road to make it to the Hall of Fame. So I have no issue with Todd Helton being a Hall of Famer. My issue with my issue with Todd, my issue with Todd Helton being one is the fact that it took him six years. And it should have been either three years, you're in, or after that, you're out. But it looks like Todd Helton is going to the Hall of Fame. Now let's talk about some of my biggest surprises from this year's. 2024 Hall of Fame ballot. The first one, and maybe it's not even a surprise. Gary Sheffield not making it. I think we all knew this was. I think we all knew this was going to happen. But I think Gary Sheffield should have been a Hall of Famer. That's my opinion. And it really comes down to a simple thing: 292 average and a 907 OPS for his career over 22 seasons. That is absolutely bonkers a 907 OPS over 22 seasons means the 14 years in your prime you're like a 1030 OPS guy every single season now the reason he didn't make it is because of steroid allegations but my thing when it comes to steroids is number one did you fail a test Gary Sheffield the answer to that question is a maybe because he was named in the Mitchell report now number two If you were named in the Mitchell Report, do I count that as you failing a test? No. So by my definition, he's clean. I think if you failed in the Mitchell Report or any time... Pre-Mitchell port, I do not care about you using steroids, the Barry Bonds, the Mark McGuire's, the Sammy Sosa's. I don't care about any steroid user during the steroid era or pre-06-07 with the Mitchell port because baseball was profiting off those steroid users. It was the best time for the sport from entertainment, from money, from popularity. Steroids helped the game and baseball turned a blind eye to anyone who used steroids. But once 2004, Four, five, six came around with the Mitchell port. That's when baseball starts to put rules in place, start putting crackdowns in place. So after the Mitchell port, if you were on the Mitchell port, I don't care. But if you failed a test post Mitchell port, that's kind of the delineation for me because after that, baseball was like, we're getting serious and we're cracking down on this problem. And if you still did it, I think that's on you. So guys like A Rod, I don't think they should be in the Hall of Fame because they cheated so much throughout their career. Manny Ramirez, one of my all-time favorite players, but the dude failed like 19 tests. He should not be in the Hall of Fame. But a guy like Gary Sheffield, a guy like Barry Bonds, I do think they were true Hall of Famers, and I do think they should be in the Hall. I probably said Hall too many times there. Carlos Beltran. Felt like pre-2016, everyone talked about Carlos Beltran as a Hall of Famer. I thought he was a pretty good candidate. I thought he had a pretty good chance of making it this year, but I think the cheating scandal with the Astros really put a dent on his legacy, and I think he's going to be one of those guys that have to wait five to seven years on the ballot before he gets in, but I do think he will get in. Billy Wagner, he was a surprise to me because he just missed out. He was at like 73% on the ballot, so... I think Wagner's a lock for next year, but was sad to see at only 73%. Billy Wagner inching closer and closer every single season. Then the final surprise for me was Chase Utley, because Utley, when you look at, when you filter the ballot by War 7, which is just taking the players some of their best seven war seasons, Chase Utley on this year's ballot is number two the seven best seasons of his career by war is second on the Hall of Fame ballot. The only player better is Alex Rodriguez, who is a juicer who we just discussed as a cheater. So it goes of the clean guys. Chase Utley is number one, then you could say at that point of guys on this year's ballot. Belche was two. Todd Helton was three. So they did get it right from that standpoint. Andrew Jones, four on that list. So Chase Utley, I definitely think he will get into the Hall of Fame one day because I think that War 7, the 7 best seasons of his career, is quite literally as good as anybody who's ever played the second base position. I do think media members will value that as time goes on, but I was a little surprised to see he only came in at 28% the first time on the ballot, but I I do think Chase Utley at some point will make it to the Hall of Fame. Now we'll talk about... The newbies on the 2025 ballot will say goodbye to the people who didn't get 5% on this year's ballot. And then we'll say hello to the newbies that we think have a shot of being inducted in the 2025 Hall of Fame class. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at times 24 for my personal account, or look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. Now let's get back into the conversation and let's talk about. I want to talk about the newbies who I think have a shot of making it to the Hall of Fame class in 2025. But let's first say goodbye. Let's first say goodbye to some players on this year's 2024 ballot who did not get enough of the vote to maintain themselves on the ballot. You need at least 5% to stay on the ballot, and these are the players who will not be returning next season. And, of course, Gary Sheffield would not be returning because he used his 10 years of eligibility. He is stuck at 64%. Some other guys who will not be making it, Jose Batista, who I said will not be a Hall of Famer, 1.6%. Victor Martinez, I said, He wasn't going to make it, I think. Did I say he wasn't going to make it? I don't remember. But Victor Martinez will not be returning. Bartolo Colon, I definitely said, wouldn't make it. He's not returning. Matt Holliday's not returning. Adrian Gonzalez's not returning. Brandon Phillips is not returning. Jose Reyes and James Shields. And a bunch of those guys, I said, weren't going to be Hall of Famers. Now, if you want to look at surprises just within that group, James Shields and Jose Reyes, both zero votes. Meanwhile, Brandon Phillips got one vote. I think Jose Reyes and James Shields are both better players than Brandon Phillips. Adrian Gonzalez and Matt Holliday, I do think it was a little surprising that they didn't get at least a little bit more love. I thought they could have done potentially another year on the ballot, but makes sense that they're not going to be returning. And then some guys that just snuck above that 5% mark, David Wright at 6.2%. He will be returning next season, but I don't know for how long. Now let's look at the 2025 Hall of Fame class. Let's look at the newbies and discuss who are locks and who are some maybes for next year's Hall of Fame. Because for me, there is two definitive locks among the newbies. The first one, Ichiro Suzuki. No doubter, one of the greatest Major League Baseball players we've ever seen, Rookie of the Year, MVP, one of the all-time hits leaders, over 3,000 hits like he is an absolute lock for the 2025 Hall of Fame class. The other one is CC Sabathia absolute lock, was a Cy Young award winner, was a stud for the Yankees, helped them win a World Series, stud for Cleveland and Milwaukee, like CC Sabathia, was one of the nastiest pitchers in Major League Baseball, pitched for 19 seasons, like he was an absolute ace, so those two I think are absolute first ballot locks, and to be honest, I don't think CC will be unanimous, but Ichiro Suzuki, like if he's not a unanimous Hall of Famer, like who is going to see Ichiro Suzuki on the ballot and say that guy is not a Hall of Famer? Like that's how idiotic these media media ballot voters are sometimes. Like when Mariano, when Mariano, when, Mariano Rivera, when Mariano Rivera, I almost said Rivera. Rivera wasn't a unanimous Hall of Famer. It's like, what are we doing here? And thankfully Derek Jeter was able to get in unanimously because it would it would have just looked childish and foolish if these balloters or voters, didn't put these guys as unanimous, and Ichiro should be the next unanimous Hall of Famer getting inducted into next year's class, so we'll see what the voters do there, and then the two maybes that I have, because some other guys on the ballot, before I get into my two maybes, maybe you think any, maybe you guys think any of these players could potentially be maybes in your eyes, Ian Kinsler, Troy Tulewiski, Ben Zobris, Curtis Granderson, Hanley Ramirez, Russell Martin, like it's a pretty big drop-off after those guys. Like Martin Prado's on it, Clay Buckles, Francisco Liriano, Mark Trumbo. Like I don't think anyone would say any of those guys is a Hall of Famer, but maybe think a guy like Troy Tulowitzki is a maybe. He's probably the best case, or Ian Kinsler. maybe think he's a maybe. Those are probably the two best case guys um, from that list I just mentioned. But my other two maybes, on next year's Hall of Fame ballot among the newbies is Felix Hernandez and Dustin Pedroia. Now, I think Felix Hernandez, I don't think he'll be a first balloter, but I do think he will eventually make it to the Hall of Fame career 342 ERA and was elite year after year. I mean, from 2008 at age 22 to basically 2015, age 29, like a seven-year period where he was one of the what five best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Uh, I definitely think he has a great shot at making it. The case against him, by the time he turned age 30, started entering the decline, injuries started creeping in, and then after the age of 30, like, he was cooked. 31, 32, 33, not a good pitcher, and he was done in Major League Baseball by the time he was age 33. So one of those guys where it's like, by the time he was 30 years old, his career was essentially over, or he basically, or you could just say he wasn't a Hall of Fame or even an all-star level player after the age of 30, how much does that weigh into your consideration? How long do you have to be good for to be considered a Hall of Famer? Or if you just have a a super high peak before the age of 30, is that enough for you? I think that's the conversation people are going are going to have around Felix Hernandez because peak as high as anyone, peak as high as anyone. It just wasn't longevity when you look at his career. So that's going to be a question for somebody. Then the other maybe on the ballot, which is probably a weaker case than Felix Hernandez. But when you go by like War 7, he's one of the best players on this list. Dustin Pedroia, in terms of War, because his defense was so good, he has one of the best War 7s on next year's ballot. But he's another one of those guys where injuries crept in so early in his career and really took him out because he's another one. By the time he turned age 30, 31, like, Pedroia was kind of cooked, to be honest. I mean, in 2016, he played 154 games, had a really good season, actually. 318 average, 825 OPS at the age of 32, but the next three seasons all dealt with injuries and was basically done. So you could really say by the time he hit age 32, he was done. And he didn't have monster stats. Like career 299 average, 805 OPS is really good, but only averaged 15 home runs per 162 games for his career. Like he was mostly a high average, high hitter guy, a lot of doubles, but not a lot of power. Wasn't driving in a ton of RBIs. Uh, you know four seasons with at least 20 stolen bases, but it wasn't like he was stealing 45 bags. Like, I think the counting numbers are not large enough for Dustin Pejoria. And I think he started started his career on a Hall of Fame path, Rookie of the Year, then MVP the very season after that, multiple-time Gold Glover. But I think with the way the last few years of his career went and the fact that he just doesn't have monster counting numbers, I don't think Dustin Pejoria will... Uh, unfortunately, I don't think he'll be a Hall of Famer. Pedroia, one of my favorite baseball players of all time, grew up a Red Sox fan, but he will not be making it to the Hall of Fame, I think, in my opinion, and that's really sad to see. Injuries took him out, but PD, we still love you, and I went to ASU. Forks up, baby. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back next week for more Dimebacks, or not next week. Come back later in this week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Yes